Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. You can keep your Pochettinos, Contes and Mourinho's because we are all loving Big Ange instead. A five-star, five-goal performance from Spurs put the finishing touches on an up-and-down week. The honeymoon was threatened very briefly by a cup exit, but I think people are very much back on the Ange hype train again, and we can't wait to talk about a lovely 5-2 victory against Burnley. Burnley and uh, the usual team are joining me this week once again. That is Elio Sox and Dave. Guys, welcome back again. I can't wait to talk about Spurs this week. It's strange to say that, but let's enjoy it while it lasts. Elio, welcome back, first of all. I feel like last year we had this running joke at one point where every single week I was coming to you and saying, Elio, was that the biggest disappointment of the season so far? And every week it was like, yeah, that was now, again, <laughs> the biggest disappointment. I feel like that's kind of flipped on its head now. I feel like now it's every week. It's like, was that the best performance of the season so far? We're outdoing ourselves. Suddenly every week is better than the last. How was that? It was really, really good. Great. In fact, it's almost going to be the same answer, but in reverse as last season, though, in mm. that this is now what I've come to expect, which is really, really scary when we're four games into a new management style and everything could still go wrong. That's Spurs fan <laughs> in me speaking, obviously. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm already coming to expect that this is how we play. This is how we'll perform. And it's going to be painful when it doesn't go like this, to tell you the truth. <laughs> But yeah, probably the happiest I've been so far because it's not just yeah. the individual performance, it's the cumulative effort, it's the role on it. It's not just the fact that we won and won well by playing good football, it's that we are continuing to win and win well and play good football. So the previous yeah. match wasn't a blip and therefore the match before that. So I don't know if cumulative joy is a thing as a football fan, given the reactive and very expectant sphere we operate in. But if it is a thing, that's what I'm feeling at the moment. I feel like it is a thing, but it's also a case of the bigger they are, the harder they fall. I feel like the more cumulative joy we accumulate, the harder it's going to hurt when we have a horrible result. But let's let's not talk about that, shall we? Let's focus on the positives. Someone who always focuses on the positives is Dave. Dave, welcome back for another week. Welcome back from holiday. Thanks. In fact, you've actually been able to watch football, as you were telling us earlier, which fills my heart with joy because, of course, you watched all of Spurs Burnley. Now, um, I feel like no one's going to be happier than you about Ange Postacoglu being Spurs manager at the moment because you've been roped into this gig of having to watch a team that you don't support. Now, at least it's enjoyable, right? You must be loving Big Ange. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting times, isn't it? I mean, it's very difficult to act as a troll for you guys right now. I mean, there's not really much that I could cling on to to try and, you know, yank a little bit so that you yeah. might get a bit upset because it all seems to be uh, flowing in the right direction, which is what you guys want from a club, isn't it? You want it just to feel like you can actually focus on enjoying the football rather than worry about Enoch or Daniel Levy just being himself or one yeah. of your players deciding he doesn't want to play for you anymore or Harry Kane saga. That's all over now. You know, now you can just focus on the football. Exactly. And it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's life's lovely. And I'm trying my best to uh, kid myself into thinking it's going to last forever. Socks, I feel like you're going to do no such thing. You're a little bit more level headed than me in that regard. But you have wavered a little bit. I think not that long ago, we were sitting here talking about the inevitable slump into a relegation battle. Then it all flipped <laughs> around. Suddenly you were in really high spirits. I think one thing we were all surprised by is how quickly this has clicked and it's looking better than we expected it to at this stage in the season. I know that in our preseason hot takes, you were talking about the idea of us potentially having a couple of heavy defeats to some of the big boys early on have you revised that prediction now with what you've seen if we were to play i know we've got arsenal coming up soon for example and we're going to have time to preview that properly but if we had one of the big boys now would you be as scared as you were preseason? I think with each passing week, I'm definitely softening. I think this was the fixture where you asked me a couple episodes ago and I said, I think this might be the one where maybe we drop some points, not necessarily yeah. lose, but draw away to Burnley. And I think I maybe projected Sean Dyche cold Tuesday night Burnley onto the Burnley that yeah. is currently there under Vincent Company at the moment. But Understand either way, me. I mean, yeah, yeah. completely. Um, yeah. But well, I mean, we all know about Elio's hatred for any oh, town loves- north of the M25 that starts with the letter B. <laughs> Um, he loves Burnley but, now. He loves playing Burnley now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's um, look. We have Arsenal in a few weeks. I don't know how I feel about it quite yet, and it's, it's too premature to discuss it. But 
with each passing week, the the bigger the sample size we have. And so far we haven't, you know, the, the full end game, which we will discuss is the only kind of minor to sort of moderate blip on Andrew's sort of tenure so far. So happy days. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously many, many reasons to be delighted after that 5-2 victory against Burnley. One of which for me personally is that it is keeping my preseason prediction on track for Spurs to break the Premier League record for most goals involved in their games across 38 game season. Now we're actually tracking on the current maths to hit 142 goals at both ends in our games if it carries on at the current rate of 3.75 a game dave wore a trophy of course but uh five of those thankfully were scored by us three by son elio we've got five goals to pick for it and i want to talk about all of them because you know we don't know how long it's going to last and and they were in their own right lovely goals some of them do you Mm. have a favorite if you had to pick out of five what goal made you the happiest i mean for pure sort of what did I just see? The Romero goal. Um, I think even <laughs> Dave will have to concede that is a genuine thunder bastard rising on its way into the net, mm. bounced back out of the net afterwards. Like there's no doubt about that. But just because it's purely represented the sort of football that I want to see my football club play, it has to be the fifth goal. The way yeah. we pass the ball around from back to front, it was. So I made a slightly overzealous comparison to Barcelona. <laughs> A week ago, the great Barcelona sides, and that was very much a mitigated one of obviously we're not that yeah. good. This goal was as good as anything they ever did in terms of pass and move back then. This was a pure footballing goal, and it was wonderful to see. This was yeah. Holland's 1978. This was uh, Brazil 1970. <laughs> that, that, that was the quality of this goal. I don't want to stop him. Dave, Dave, what are you doing? This is your job. You should have jumped in at least three times during that. Um, in fairness, though, I think Messi would have been proud of the pass that Porro put in for Son for that goal. Uh, not his first beautiful pass of the afternoon actually Poro he had a lovely game but but yeah absolutely and I think the thing with that goal is that the highlights don't do it justice because the highlights start halfway through what was actually a really long move and we I think it all started from Romero was it Romero winning the ball pretty much on our own goal line and there was some intricate passing out of a press yeah and and turning it around the the corner yeah Romero preventing a corner off his own goal line yeah absolutely absolutely beautiful Um, speaking of Romero you mentioned the Romero goal first of all Dave as our official adjudicator of Thunder Bastards are you going to let that one fall into the Thunder Bastard category from Romero. So, so I think we've been a bit too hasty to call <laughs> um, to call goals thunder bastards in yeah. the past. Um, I think if this is me changing VAR mid-season, basically now. Yeah. Um, I think yes, it was rising as it went in. Yes, it was hit with some ferocity. And you know what, the only reason. The the only reason that I thought it wasn't a Thunder Bastard because I honestly thought he hit it too well. It was That's too sweet. Exactly, yeah. So it felt, it felt almost like it wasn't a angry goal. It was a, oh, I'll just hit this sweeter than I've ever hit anything in the world ever before and it will yeah. just whistle into the goal. <laughs> um, it didn't feel like a Thunder Bastard. It almost felt like a Thunder really good friend who just, you know, just... Girl glides straight past you and goes into the goal. That's, and everybody goes, that's, oh, that's lovely. That was a lovely thunder, finish. Thunder buddy? A thunder buddy. But that's Romero's yeah. default never, setting. Never, Romero's angry uh, in everything he does. He celebrates goals yeah. by punching his teammates. So, of course, he's he's so, maybe, so, maybe, so maybe he has his own specific criteria yeah. of thunder buddies, which I love, by the way. You know, yeah. uh, episode Chat of a Ted, great film. Thunder buddies <laughs> yeah. is definitely what that was. It was a thunder buddy. It wasn't a thunder bastard. <laughs> You know what? I'm really happy you said that, Dave, because in my notes, I swear, I've written down that it doesn't do him justice to call it a Thunder Bastard because I feel like Thunder Bastard implies you absolutely leather it and hope for the best, mm. and then sometimes it goes screaming in. This was placed. He knew what he was doing. Well, I say that. He'll never do it again. He's never done it before. <laughs> but that was does actually he know what he's doing? lovely. No, he doesn't. Really. <laughs> he's, he's a special case, Romero, but very happy to see him score. And of course, that means that our captain's got a hat-trick, and then our vice-captain's got a goal each as well. And uh, I think one of them, Madison, who, not for the first time, and, and certainly not for the last time, is a strong contender for Man of the Match. So I was going to put it to you. Obviously, Son's got a hat-trick, but if you had to pick a Man of the Match, are you going to give it to Son, or do you think there's anyone else that deserves a shout-out? No, Madison in terms of his influence on the game because yeah. he ran the show. I mean, without without yeah. Madison, there are so many strings that aren't pulled. Obviously, with Sun now, with him playing this nine role, his job is effectively limited in the sense that, as bizarre as it sounds, the only impact he'll really have on a game is scoring goals, which is the most important thing. But in terms of actually running the show, mm. Madison mm. is... I mean, I've seen a few people say this, but 
I'm surprised as to how good he is because you think for a player that's been in the Premier League for several years, starting with Norwich and then to Leicester, you'd have thought we'd have seen enough of him to have understood exactly what he was about. And I think we all had a rough idea of what that was. And then I'm yeah. seeing, you know, I'm seeing him come deep and he's actually playing sort of in our own half and linking play that deep. And he's doing things that I didn't really think he had in his locker or he's doing things better than I expected. So yeah. uh, he's gone from being a signing that we looked at and thought, this is really exciting. This is very good to... Again, we're still at that stage of the season where you don't want to be a bit premature or whatever, but he's not world-class or anything like that. But you start to think, hey, in two or three years, when you actually start to probably hit your peak, how good can you be? And then I'm starting to think that he's got levels that maybe I didn't appreciate before. So I don't know if you wouldn't call him world-class, to be honest. I think he is that good. I don't think there's anyone in the Premier League at least performing at the same level as him at the moment. He's on form. He's on form, Dags. Let's, well, let's, let, let's, let's clarify. He, he, how long do you have to be on form. form for before you just he, call it that's their level? Well, not, well, not four days. Uh, not four <laughs> games. But, um, uh, oh, come on. It's not like he wasn't good last season. He's, he's a really on. good player. He has risen. Uh, you know, I, I saw a bit of him last season because I was paying too much attention to Leicester because Leeds were fighting them in a relegation battle. Yeah. And he, he was really good for them. But, and he was obviously one of the standouts, if not the standout player for them. But he certainly seems to have raised his game against that. And it's what you want, really, because it's almost like he's moved from Leicester, who are a, you know, a big club, to Spurs, who are a bigger club. And it feels like he has to put the shift in and improve himself to be mm. playing for Spurs. And that's almost the opposite of what we were feeling when Conte, granted it was a manager, but you know, same thing. He came here and said, oh, I can just phone this in because it's just Spurs. Whereas Madison gone, I can't phone this in now. I can't do what I did at Leicester. I need to raise my game. I need yeah. to be better. And that's exactly what he's doing. And that's great. And he's only 26. And if he's got another, you know, two years of, if this form continues for two years and he gets in the England squad and he's a regular and Spurs win stuff, then yeah, maybe we can talk about world-class. But not right now. <laughs> well, I mean, for what it's worth, I hate the term world-class. So let's, let's leave that if there. If James Madison sustains this all season, then he'll have to be nailed on starter at next summer's Euros. You would think so. If Absolutely. He sustains this, if he sustains this form all season, then there isn't a better English playmaker than him. And I include Foden and Grealish yeah. and Mason Mount I'm saying in inverted commas too um, so <laughs> poor me he's the new Sean Longstaff isn't he or the new Jack well, Grealish I can't work well, it out well Sean yeah. Longstaff Sean Longstaff didn't cost more than our entire midfield so I'm going to give him more of a break now uh, Mason Mount is just an atrocity of a signing um, the new Sean um, Longstaff Mason Mount <laughs> <laughs> I bet he loves that tag, doesn't he? Yeah. What I'd say for Madison is that he, and this may sound like a weird thing to say, given that we just sold the guy for whom he'd guarantee Madison 25 assists in the league alone, but we've sold <laughs> Carrie Kane and the impetus is now on everything to go through Madison. He's taken a mantle from Kane as the guy that makes things happen. It's just that when a forward's doing that, you call it a one-man team. When it's a midfielder doing that, you're just calling that good midfield play. But yeah. Madison has become our playmaker. He's really found his role in this side yeah. and it's working beautifully. And no, What a signing, what a signing. They play quite similar. The way Madison is playing is like he has taken over from Kane in, in many ways. Not exactly the same player, of course, but we were joking about, I mean, joking through gritted teeth about the upcoming international break and wondering which players are going to come back injured. And we were saying, who would you least like to get injured if we had to go down that road? And I feel like he's definitely high on the list of the ones that we really want to make it through that. And obviously he has had the call up now, despite what the Bournemouth fans were saying to him last week about Gareth Southgate's opinion of him. Um, we're doing it again. We spent the whole time talking about Madison and we've barely touched on poor Hyun Son, who scores a hat-trick. I don't know what he has to do to win our approval. Um, he's scored a hat-trick. We were saying, <laughs> last week how it'd be lovely if we could throw a 25 goal a season striker into the mix to add to this team it'd be the finishing touch Elio have we had one all along have we maybe forgotten what Son can do because he's in the middle now surely now he's staying there for the foreseeable future I said a few games ago I think it was after the second game I said that there could well be an argument regardless of who's the better Angeball striker there could be an argument to put Son down the middle and either Perisic or Solomon down the left and drop Richarlison purely based on the fact mm. that in a side that is designed to keep creating chances which we are Son you can absolutely bet your house on him scoring when the ball falls to him in dangerous areas and that's what we saw mm. yesterday I mean okay you can say a lot about sort of Burnley being naive and going toe to toe with us the way they did but ultimately those were well crafted chances they fell to a guy who knows how to score with either foot from any angle 
he scored three goals. It's it, it, if anything, he could have got his hat trick earlier with a better first touch on a couple of occasions. The goal he scored yeah. almost made up for another point where he was put through and touched really poorly and gave it straight to their keeper. So Son is maybe not the player he was. He's maybe not a tricky winger for this kind of system. But if you're looking to get in behind teams, then Son as that final piece of the jigsaw, like Sox says, the guy who his job is now just to score goals. You couldn't want mm. for more, really. And he really deserved that yeah. yesterday because he's the one that, through all the crap for the last few years, has kept on sort of professing his loyalty to us, absolutely playing his heart out for us. And while someone else had fallen into a transactional relationship with us, never, ever shirked from the job at hand. So, yeah, I, yeah. I'm delighted to see it. And I think we'll see much more of this now. To answer your question, sorry, that was a bit long-winded. Definitely a nail, <laughs> nailed on starter now. Yeah, yeah, you down like the middle. I mean, down the middle, and I think yeah, you definitely don't want to mess with that. But I think to be fair to him, you mentioned his touch, and we've obviously been critical of it in the past for his first goal for the equaliser. I actually think he had a really nice first touch and did mm, quite, yeah, nice, quite some good work on that. He, he kind of, I don't know how deliberate it was. I'm always a little bit skeptical when players pull out this beautiful first touch that maybe they kind of fluked it, but it looked deliberate. Um, it did, and, 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 and what well done Oh, Solomon. absolutely. Beautiful finish. And well done to Solomon. I mean, Solomon, he got two assists today. I'm sure somewhere Harry Kane is watching on through teary eyes, uh, this guy <laughs> trying to take his glory and become the new best friend to uh, to Son. But, but no, well done to Solomon as well, who, if Son is going to play down the middle now, you expect that Solomon might actually get a run in the team. Uh, I can't really see Richarlison playing on the left. Brennan Johnson has come in, of course. We'll talk about him. I don't know if he's one who can play on the left either. But Sox, I want to get your thoughts on Solomon because obviously you've been angling for the idea of Son to play down the middle. Looks like that's going to be the case. What do you make of Solomon generally so far and in this game? And are you happy as him as one of the starters going forward? I thought it was pretty good. I don't think he was exceptional. This is the first time we've actually seen him properly play off the left because against Fulham, mm. he started on the right and only moved to the left in terms of kind of the last 20 minutes. But he looked good. I mean, he he was maybe a bit afraid, nervous, whatever it was to kind of really take on his man down the byline. So he did a lot of run and then sort of pass sideways. So he wasn't necessarily sort of tearing it up. But at the same time, for a first start, I thought his decision-making was pretty good. Again, the sort of passes he made, they appear simple but it's one of those that you see so often players kind of get it wrong and you just kind of have your head in your hands and go oh bloody how did he screw up such a simple pass or whatever so it's one of those <laughs> where it's like they're not going to get overly praised when they make it but you're absolutely going to massively slag them off when they don't make it so he has to get some kind of credit for that but I thought for a first proper start playing off that left hand side he looked absolutely fine and you hope that with more time that will kind of only improve and I agree just generally speaking, that I think this should be the front three moving forward. I suspect Johnson coming in will have something to say about who starts on the right-hand side, Ibo Kuliseski. Yeah. But broadly speaking, I think Sun down the middle and Solomon on the left is probably the best pairing that we've got. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Obviously, Brennan Johnson does throw something of a spanner in the works. And I guess this is a good assignment as any to talk about him. So the window has wrapped up now. We can have a look back on that. Brennan Johnson, he's not cheap. We've certainly spent a lot of money on him, and you might say homegrown tax, whatever, but does anyone want to take up this one and give us their two cents on Brennan Johnson, what sort of player he is, whether it's a good signing, how he might fit in, and how soon and how much we might want to see him? So it is a good signing because it's the signing our manager wanted. It's <laughs> the player it. that our manager identified as someone that would fit into his coaching philosophy, his style of play, young, moldable, hungry, very fast, and... Daniel Levy is not spending 50 million on a sort of quote unquote club signing. He's only doing that if it's someone that the manager has told him, get me that person. So yeah, it's mm -hmm. an absolutely fantastic signing from that perspective. And I think we're all buying into Ange enough to trust him on that too. Uh, in terms of him as a player, can't profess to have watched a huge amount of Nottingham Forest, but in their first season in this league and his first season in this league, he had a good goal tally. I think he got eight goals last season in the league and 10 yep. overall. He's absolutely rapid. He's very good at sort of prodding the ball and then chasing it past the defender. So will be very good for hitting teams on the break if they don't show us enough respect. And mm. in terms of his actual kind of prowess in the box, he's strong. He's got enough awareness around him to keep his composure. And he seems like quite a clever player despite only being 22 years old and I think the main yeah. thing 
I do like about what I've heard about him is what his now ex-manager said, which is how humble and how hardworking a guy he is off the pitch and how much he puts into everything. So this isn't someone who thinks they've arrived. This is someone who's going to see this as the opportunity of a lifetime, which you don't need me to repeat yeah. what I always say. It's it's <laughs> what's going to work. And when you've got him and Kulusevsky, 22, 23, you've got Solomon, who's 23, I think, as well. You've got three very young, energetic, exciting players there. And I just want to sort of cycle back a little bit to Solomon as well and just say that with his assists, they're both assists that look very easy on paper. Well, not easy on paper. They look very easy when you sort of see them in the moment. But then when you watch them again, both times he passed through an absolute crowd of players. He slowed the ball down. He slowed the play down to his own pace and passed through a crowd of people to find Son where he was. So it may look like he made it look simple, but it was very, very clever, patient and intelligent play. And I'd been screaming at him earlier for taking a few shots that he shouldn't have. So it was very pleasing to see that. Yeah, I was screaming at him before the first goal for the assist for Son. I was like, pause it, no, no, no. And I, I was convinced he was going to try and shoot. I just I just thought he was, but no, he didn't let me down there. That was very good. Um, yeah, Jonathan, the interesting thing is he's a very different option to Kudasevsky, isn't he? It's, it's kind of, it could definitely be a plan B. I don't want to diminish him to playing him off as a kind of, you know, counter-attack, a Dharma Triore speed merchant with nothing else going for him. But I think he's definitely that kind of player that if you want to stretch a game and do something a bit different, he, he could be another option there, but we'll see. He reminds me a little bit of a young son to tell you the truth from the highlights I've seen of him okay, from, yeah. from what I've looked at and he, in, in the way that he can just sort of absolutely overpower a defender mm. with his pace but also I guess there's a bit more of a explosiveness a bit with of a bail, it as well. maybe? I, dare I I'm say? I'm trying not to say that. I'm trying not to say <laughs> that we've you signed say a Welsh young right winger but, nah. but it, it's, got, it's got echoes of that and obviously listen, Bale's one of the greatest players of the past, well of the modern era of football he's one of the greatest players of all time look at everything he's done in his career so no one we currently have will ever be as good as Gareth Bale but Brennan Johnson looks like he's of that mould not ilk, maybe, hey, but mould. You, you just compared our team to Pep's Barcelona. You can compare our new signings to Gareth Bale. You're fine. Uh, Dave, Dave, I feel, I feel like you're, you're desperate to get involved here. Well, I, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think he's, um, again, watched a bit too much of Nottingham Forest last season because I was worried that they were going to be in a scrap with us. Yeah. Brendan Johnson, I actually, I'm pinching this off, off BBC because I was, I was listening while driving through France, listening to this on the internet on Five Live. And one stat, which I thought was amazing, which they said was that last season, even though, even though Brendan Johnson played 38 games in the Premier League, hmm. he averaged receiving 16 passes per game in the whole season. Yet he still scored eight goals and he still registered three assists. And also, so he's like Erling Haaland. Yeah, he, he, well, basically, <laughs> yes. And 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 when he does when he does get the ball, he makes things happen, which is mm. kind of the shorthand version of what Elia just said. He just seems to make things happen. And I think he is a bit of a player that you know. It's almost like the the same thing, but the antithesis of the why always me, why always him. Yeah, it's always him because he is always yeah. him because he makes things happen. And I also think his flexibility is one of the things that I think he's probably. The most attractive about from Postecoglou's perspective, because you yeah. know he played he played games at centre forward, played on the wing, he's played as a second striker, he's played in the probably number ten role, attacking midfield, and he's actually delivered from all of those positions with either goals or assists in last season. So I think he's proved that he's not just someone who can you know plug a gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's someone who can actually deliver in any of those positions. So I think it's a I think yeah. it's a smart signing. But yeah, it's the British young, skillful player tax. It's just, just yeah. how much you pay and that's just how much you're going to have to get used to paying if you want to buy good so, players. So when he's receiving the ball three times as often this season, he's going to be scoring three times as many goals. It, it stands to reason I can't think that's, of any argument against that. So that that's going to be great things for us. Speaking of exciting young players, we talked about him last week. Destiny Odogi was involved in a, in a couple of goals, actually. He got a direct assist and he was involved for one of Son's goals, cutting into Solomon. Sox, you said that he's pretty much the best left back in the league last week. I feel like we're, we're sounding very ambitious at the moment. We're, we're being very complimentary about players. But in fairness, you're not alone. Nathan from Extra Inch tweeted essentially the same thing. He went as far as saying he's a top four left back in the world, even at this moment. What is it that makes Destiny Togi so good? Because I'm not disagreeing necessarily. I just want to know kind of what is it that makes him stand out for you? Everything. I mean, he doesn't have any noticeable weakness yet in terms of what we've seen and again I have to reiterate small sample size but he's got the athleticism he's quick and he's strong and technically he's very very good 
And like, mm. that seems like a very kind of reductive explanation. It's like, okay, well, he's strong and he can pass or whatever. I mean, it, again, it's a sort of oversimplification of it. But you think of kind of other left backs and there's normally like Sinchenko at Arsenal, for example, can't defend to save his life. Technically, he's brilliant, but he's not a defender. Mm. He gets skin left, right and center. Teo Hernandez at AC Milan, who's an outstanding wing back got absolutely murdered against someone like Saka in the World Cup last year. Like defensively, uh, I watch a fair bit of AC Milan. He, defensively, he hasn't got the chops for it, but he's absolutely outstanding going forward. He's just a complete sort of left back and wing back. And there are sometimes where you see players mm-hmm. and you think to yourself, that's the next one to go to Real Madrid, isn't it? You know, we've had them down <laughs> the years with sort of Modric Bale and you can kind of start to make that prediction pretty early. And I'm, I'm kind of going even beyond calling him the best left back in the world at this point. But he's, <laughs> he's sort of in the conversation. I did caveat it last week just by saying, I do think there is a dearth of quality fullbacks yes, in Europe anyway. Did. So he is yeah. kind of partially in that conversation by default. Like, again, if you think up and down the league, there aren't that many. And that's partly because if you look at some of the top sides, like if you look at City, for example, they don't have an out-and-out left-back. They just have centre-backs that are really versatile. So if you think of mm-hmm. who their left-back is, it doesn't really exist. Akanji plays there and Laporte, obviously not now he's gone, has played there. Gvardiol can do it. Nathan Ake can do it. So it is a little bit, there's a bit of an asterisk there just because it's a position across Europe anyway where aren't there too many outstanding names. But I feel yeah. like we're going to be talking about him most weeks or rather it will come to a point where we won't even have to speak about him because it will just be a given that he's put in another very solid performance. The shitness will yeah. come eventually, right? Like he's only, what is he, 20 or something. 20, there will come yeah. a point where I think after we play Sheffield United after the international break, he's going to have Salah and Saka back to back they're the mm. two best players in the world in their position so in terms of baptism of fire as a test it will it literally cannot get any harder than those two so i'm curious to see especially one of those being away at the emirates where obviously we don't have a particularly fun time more often than not i'm interested to see yeah. if he comes out the other end of those unscathed and even if he doesn't we'll just turn around and say well look, he's only 20 he's allowed to get skinned by sort of mm. world-class elite level right wingers which is what salah and, and saka saka are on his way to being anyway so Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say no issues with him, but that that seems like a, an understatement. That's no injustice, yeah. Okay, we'll always be watching him and we'll see how he gets on. And hopefully when he does come up against the likes of Salah and Saka, he doesn't spend the whole half in the opposition penalty box, but we'll see how that goes. Um, he got the assist for Madison, directly set up Madison's goal, which I think we didn't even talk about when we talked about how good Madison was. What a lovely finish. I mean, that's what we signed him for. That's what we expected. I really liked the touch he took before shooting. It was that perfect kind of angled mm. first touch, just instinctive, no knowing where to get into that path to shoot. and um, You just knew the second know, the ball fell to him, didn't yeah. you? He had so much space. I mean, like, I have to say, a couple of the goals, I don't want to take anything away from us, but there were a couple of the goals where I was like, Son's first goal, I don't know who it was, the number two just lost him completely. He was like, ah, that, that guy's not going to get the ball back. I'm going to come to the ball. There were a couple, but, you know, you can't take anything away from that strike. Absolutely lovely, lovely shot. And the other thing that made me laugh was, I love that as we put the finishing touch on the five goals, the hat-trick goal from Son, the away end was chanting, Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. That, that get, put a big smile on my face as well. We haven't talked about either of the goals we conceded because they're kind of irrelevant i mean i've literally written down who cares for the the second one because it was in the 94th minute but any concerns over the first goal are we are we a little bit worried that we start games a little bit on the shaky side we did start a bit slow and the second that happened i think i just think our whole defense sort of seems a bit flat-footed. I think Van de Ven was it that lost out on a challenge up pitch that we've already gotten accustomed to him winning. Then Porro was not just outpaced, but absolutely brushed aside by um, the Italian lad they've got out on the left. He was amazing as well. What's his name? I can't remember. Um, Is he the one who cut back after Porro for the first goal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah he's the one that skinned yeah. Porro and played oh, Colleosho? Colleosho, yeah. I think he's born in America, but he's played he did, for Italy yeah. under 20 ones either way whatever he is he looked very good and he absolutely <laughs> roasted Poro there which is yeah. which is not what you expect no so it felt like they were all a bit flat-footed but no real concerns but we are going to concede that kind of goal a few times this season I reckon uh, in terms of yeah. the final one was it very good interplay from them or was it us getting a little bit lackadaisical and reserving energy because we knew the game was won who knows I mean I don't want to take it away it from Bernie matter. because it doesn't matter. They actually played relatively well and probably didn't deserve to get a 5-1 hammering. So as good as we were. Yeah. So I think I think you take those, but not so much concerns. But I do expect that at least with the first one, we're going to concede a few like that across the season. 
Yeah, this is exactly the kind of game we were expecting, just perhaps not this soon. I think when we were talking about where the, the ceiling was with, with Ange Ball and what we could expect once it all clicks, this is exactly what we thought would happen every week. Five twos, four threes, three twos, a lot of goals, but hopefully more on our side. Um, I guess the question that it leaves us is how seriously should teams be taking Spurs? And this is where we need Dave, because Dave, I have to say, on looking through Twitter, and I know Twitter is a load of nonsense, but the conversations are starting now about our Spurs in a title race, our Spurs title contenders. How far-fetched is that? Now, I know that even by saying it, I'm cursing us to have a terrible season, but do you look at Spurs from what you've seen so far this season and think that we could go on a run like Arsenal did last season and be up there towards the end of the season? Or are some fans getting ahead of themselves? Sox no. is violently shaking his head in the background. Your fans, are, Some fans are getting ahead of themselves. Yeah. We had this conversation last mm. time I was on. We talked about the next three games that you've got. Bournemouth, Burnley and Sheffield United and you could easily win all three. And you could easily yeah. be at the top. But it shouldn't really change the conversation you're having. This is something that's happening and it's growing and it's got momentum. But, you know, one step at a time. Well, let's face it, Man City are just a cut yeah. above everybody else. I don't think. I, I honestly think the way things are going this season. I mean, don't get me wrong. Arsenal just pulled off a pretty impressive home victory in the end uh, yeah, against uh, against Manchester United. But they also drew two all at home against Fulham, who Man City then beat five one at home. So mm. uh, I think it wouldn't surprise me if there isn't a title race. To be honest, this season I think it might just be a procession. But this must be positive for you guys. You must be feeling good. And, and and I think a start like this means that you can hope to get into that top four because yeah. that top four is not going to be easy to get into because, mm. well, we'll look at Brian from Newcastle yesterday. You know, they, they, they've started on fire, but they also then just lost at home to West Ham who are up there yeah. in, inexplicably. So, you know, I think everybody's lacking that consistency and has that one defeat in them. Mm. You never know. Yours might be next. And then we'll be talking. Oh, is Ange ball too much? Oh, is, uh, are we too? Are you playing too aggressively? Or, or you know, trying to pass it out from the back when there's a madman like Ollie McBurney who's going to come and elbow you in the face, and then they've got the ball five yards from goal and they've scored, and you lose one nil. And oh, Ange ball doesn't work when you're playing against these kind of players, even though it did yeah. work the week before, and it did work the week before that. So I think you know there's going to be a lot of conversations like that by those probably exact same people on Twitter are saying that you're going to win the league. Yeah, I see that. I think the thing that encourages me is that, all right, we haven't played Manchester City or Arsenal yet who are outright the two best teams from last season, but we have had a good spread of sides that we've played. We've had three out of our four games away from home. We started off away against a Brentford side that we know are very good, very difficult to play against, and that was the first test of us. We played at home. Uh, the hardest opposition we've had in theory anyway was at home to last season third best sides we've yeah. had uh, another side that stayed up relatively easily in the end last season in Bournemouth and do play good football as we know and we've had a newly promoted side but a newly promoted side that were clearly a level above the championship last season with how easily they won it so I think the encouraging thing is that it's been a good spread of sides that we've been able to showcase, okay, we can play this way. This is something we can keep doing. It's not just because we've had sort of easy opposition or favorable fixtures. There were some people looking at our first fixtures and thinking we'd be lucky to get six points from five games or something exactly. stupid like that. Exactly. So yeah. I, I, I'm encouraged by that. Doesn't mean we're going to challenge for the title, but I'm now of the mindset that we should really, really be looking at a top four spots this season yeah. or at least running it very, very close. Anybody who says to me eighth would be a decent result this season or seventh would be a result this season, that's out the window already. Top six minimum, yeah, top five for me would be par, top four would be what the aim should be. Simple as. A few points. First of all, I don't know if you guys just saw me immediately stand up a moment ago. I somehow managed to pull a hamstring while recording a podcast, which is a sign that I'm definitely getting old and unfit. Uh, I'm not <laughs> even sure Giovanni how that happened. You're the Giovanni of podcasts. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I am 37 now, which is very much thinking about retirement age, even if I was an elite athlete, and I am not. I'm far from it. Um, but, but secondly, to agree with you, definitely. I think before the season, I was saying, who cares where we finish? I'm happy with eight for as long as we have a few good games. I am past that already. And I actually think for whatever it is worth and I don't think it's worth very much I think we are the second best team to watch so far this season now, everyone we've watched and I just watched Man United play Arsenal seen Arsenal a couple of times West Ham are obviously doing well and I actually think they deserve to be where they are they're playing very well but that won't last um I think after Man City, we are the best team currently. It's just whether we'll keep 
that up and there are obviously sterner tests to come but yeah i would say at this point i'm looking at top four and i don't think that's unreasonable to be looking at top four i think the title is a bit silly and i'm, I'm kind of talking about that tongue-in-cheek socks would you agree with that because you're the logical one here i think did we, we decide you're the logical uh, one? I'm, I, I, think, I don't know i think we decided i was i think it changes week by week <laughs> it does, yeah. yeah that's what spurs do to you um are we a little bit premature to be saying top four is the aim do you think yeah top no four look, we said it at the start of the season i say we said it i said it i want the credit it was me I said at the start of the season that <laughs> yeah. I think it was anything from sort of third to seventh was a bit of a free-for-all. I, I think a lot of us, and myself included, assume Man United yeah. will probably be a bit more nailed on for third, but that doesn't look like it's the case anymore. I think City, mm. City, obviously, you can nail down for top two. And I do think Arsenal, even if I agree with Dave, I don't think it's going to be that much of a title race, uh, will probably end up finishing second. I think every single side from third down to sixth or seventh is probably one or two injuries away from a crisis. And I think that's ultimately what it's going to go down to. Because if you look that's at it. the drop-off we have from Adogi to Davis, from Basuma to either Skipper Hoiberg, maybe even from Madison to Lacelso on current form, I would argue Poro to Emerson in terms of offensive threat. And the fact that we haven't signed a spare centre-back means that when Romero inevitably picks up an injury for Argentina or a red card or whatever it is, Sanchez will have to come in. And beyond that, it's 18-year-old Ashley Phillips because I don't think Dyer's going to get much involvement. You look at those areas in the squad, and I think we have five or six players who I would sort of class as the untouchables. If you told me that they would stay safe effectively for the entire season, bar the odd sort of niggle here and there... I'd say, yeah, nailed on yeah. top four, top five. And I think you can go to Newcastle and pick out Bruno Guimaraes, Isak, Sven Botman, and say the same thing. And I think you'd go to Liverpool and they've only just about signed a number six. They haven't signed a backup left centre-back. That's a weakness of theirs. Mm. So I don't think there are too many of us that are a million miles ahead of one another. At the same time, we don't have any European football, or almost all of them do. Mm. Although on the flip side of that, to bring it the other way, they're all further along in their projects, pretty much every single one of them. So there are little things here and there where it's like yeah. 10% in our favor and then 10% against us. But whether we finish fourth, fifth or sixth, I don't think it's going to be like last season where we find ourselves mm. a significant amount of points behind. Like we could finish sixth and be within five points of fourth, say, where we've been chasing it the whole season. And barring an injury crisis, that's... I, yeah. I was one of those people that I think Elliot was speaking about at the start of the season where I was more along the lines of, we can finish seventh, we can finish eighth, as long as I see good football, I'm, I'm happy. And because we've seen that good football much earlier than I think yeah. any of us anticipated, certainly to this quality, it is just like your natural human mindset to be like, okay, cool, we've done this now, tick that box, what else can I look forward yeah. to? What's next? So now I think there's some expectations, which yeah. look, the acid test will be Liverpool and Arsenal that we've got coming up back to back in like, what, three weeks time, three, four weeks time. Let's see where we are after that, because by that point, we'll have been, including Sheffield United, seven games in. You've got a decent sample size at that point. You've faced a variety of teams, both at home and away, including two or three really good sides and some of the trickier kind of banana skin opponents. If, like I say, we can get through these periods unscathed, get through January unscathed as well, because we've got Saar and Basuma going off to AFCON. And certainly Saar plays for the defending champions in Senegal, so you'd expect he'd be gone for the whole month. I can't speak to the quality of Mali, but mm. without wanting to disrespect them, historically, they've not been one of the better African sides. So maybe no. Basuma will come and back. And that hasn't changed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There are going to be small things that will decide whether it's a fourth or a sixth. Yeah. And I think we've got a little look into the window of what could happen if we get a significant number of injuries in the cup game with Fulham, which <laughs> we'll talk about that. We haven't even touched on it yet. Obviously, we're trying to pretend it didn't happen, but it was a heavily rotated side. And I think it would be some kind of unprecedented injury crisis for us to field any kind of team approaching that lineup in a league game. But that being said, it did kind of show a little bit of the drop off in standard between some of our players. And I say that having praised them in pre-season in the games that they played. And I think there's definitely some players that I'm happy to see come on, but obviously there's a limit. First of all, Elio, in that game, were you a bit disappointed to see such a rotated lineup? I know it's obviously easy in hindsight to say, oh, we should have played a better team. And had we won in penalties, we might have been saying no problem. Did you want to see a slightly stronger team? I did. I think it was a little bit too much. I feel like we all have already bought into this manager enough to know that we can also question something without it meaning, ooh, we're questioning whether he's a good enough manager, blah, blah, blah. But you can yeah. still question things on a case-by-case -case basis. High level, everything's been brilliant case by case you got the full game slightly wrong i think yeah. it was right to stick with the charleston up top i think 
changing both wingers made sense just because of the way we press and how much it takes out of that part of the pitch. I think entirely changing the midfield was a little bit much. Not because I don't think, given a run of games, that midfield three could be half decent, but I think when it's the first time they've been thrown in together, of course they're going to play like strangers and probably end up overrun by a good side, which Fulham are. And obviously the defence lacked its main leader in Romero. It was mm. very sort of, well, Emerson and Davies are chalk and cheese to Porro and Udogi. And even though those are both players that I would be quite comfortable with coming into the team, one of them for, let's say, four or five games if their counterpart got a month-long injury, both at the same time with an entirely new defence in between them, Forster and goal as well. It was a lot of one go. So yeah. for me, I think four or five changes, maybe six, but nine changes, taking all the leadership out of the side as well in Son, Madison and Romero. It was asking for trouble, which is exactly what we got. The fact is, we still took it to penalties and went out because Davinson Sanchez was somehow on the rotor. But I'm not hugely heartbroken by this because I'd rather the blip was there than in the league, if I'm honest. Agreed. Yeah. Also, shout out to Sanchez, by the way. Respect to him for stepping up to take oh, penalty yeah. with all the. I, all I have the no issue with Sanchez stepping up. I, I yeah. have issues with whoever didn't step up instead. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But no, you're right. A lot of changes, perhaps too many changes. And speaking of changes to the squad, we've made quite a few this year. And I just want to take this opportunity to talk about the window and how it leaves us and just assess the window, really. We touched on it a little bit talking about Brennan Johnson being the last one to come through the door. Hmm. Incidentally, it's actually 10 years almost to the day since the window where we sold Gareth Bale and then bought the Magnificent Seven, sold Elvis and bought the Beatles, as Garth Crooks said. And we've kind of done something similar this year. So it's interesting to have a look now that it's all settled. In this window, we've obviously sold and we have signed Vicario, new goalkeeper. We've signed James Madison. We've signed Manus Solomon, um, Phillips, the young defender, Van der Ven, Veliz as a kind of third choice striker, I guess. Of course, Brennan Johnson. We've technically signed Kulusevski and Poro. We've made them permanent this summer. And then, of course, as we've mentioned before, Udogi is effectively a new signing, and Desuma is almost like a new signing as well. So, with all that, considered there's a lot of backlash as there always is a lot of the purple and yellow brigade on twitter aren't too happy about the window i know i've phrased this in a very leading sense dave but looking at that trying to be as impartial as you always are and an ultra professional how do you rate spurs summer window including the fact of course that we have lost one of the greatest players of his generation well i mean you know you i almost want to say that out of the context because it just feels like that was such a big swirl in itself and you know he was either going to stay and it and yeah. it would be fine or he was going to leave and we would see and turns out so far so good but i would say and yeah to quote a friend of this parish i think it's just been a very sensible transfer window <laughs> i think also to quote somebody else who's on this podcast right now i think Elliot quite rightly tweeted that, you know, if all of these players that we signed had been signed in the last 48 hours of the window, everybody would be delighted on Twitter at the business that Tottenham have done. Yes. But the fact that they yes. did it two months ago, everybody's mad, mad about it. But we'd be worse off for it. Yeah. Um, you know, the transfer deadline day is awful. It's rubbish. And it's only really mm. entertained by desperate clubs who aren't run properly and don't have a very clear understanding yeah. and a plan of what they want to do. You have a plan. Mm. You are fairly well run yeah. and you know exactly what you want to do. And yeah, Brennan Johnson became available at the end and you took the chance and you did it. But ultimately, even if you hadn't signed Brennan Johnson, would there be a massive gap in your squad that you'd be crying out for in six or eight weeks' time? No, I think it was just a sensible window that was done long in advance so that Postacoglu had the opportunity and the chance to coach the team and get them playing the, the way he wanted to do. I think this is how a transfer window yeah. should be. It shouldn't be all, you know, glitz, glamour, yeah. lastminute.com, Jim White going mental. No one needs that. <laughs> we shouldn't even need to see Jim White see in our window, White. should we? It should all be done and dusted early. And that's the irony of it. We actually did the sensible thing that we've not done in the past, that we've actually been critical of in the past. We went in early, we got the big signings, and then everything else was kind of a last minute. Yeah, we can you know do some bargain shopping on, on deadline day. Not that 47 and a half million is a bargain. But Sox, you had something to say on window. What are your thoughts? I'm slightly more negative on it. Only uh, I, I think uh, I would give it to sort of okay. quantified, say it was like a six out of 10 window, but it could have jumped up to an eight had we just bought one more mm. centre-back and this is this is a position that our manager himself mm. in pre-season literally did say 
at least a couple with regards to defenders. That's the one. A lot of people are complaining mm-hmm. that we haven't bought an out-and-out replacement for Kane. Again, in Andrew's words, that was never his plan or his intention anyway, so I'm not bothered by it. There's another yeah. group of people that are worried about the net spend. It's not that much of a, of a predicator of a good window because we have been outspent by Bournemouth this summer, but we wouldn't swap our windows with theirs. So net spend isn't as big of a deal as people yeah. think it is. For me, it's literally, I, I cannot stress enough how that one backup centre-back would have altered it completely for me to take it from an okay window where I do think we did most of our business early. I do think it was sensible. I do think there was a plan. Whether it was data-driven or not, I don't really know, but I like what we've done for the most part. And I do think all of the signings we've made near enough have been Andrew's sort of first choice or at least targets that he would have approved. There wasn't like a Jed Spence, this is a club signing type of thing. It was like, we know he liked Madison. We know he liked Brennan Johnson and what have you. It was Mm. literally just the one backup centre-back because that is the position our team where, like I say, you are now praying for no major injuries to either Van der Vert. And and bear in mind, this is is what we were all saying coming into the summer as well. So it's not brand new information that we needed at least two. And this is a team that conceded, what, 450 goals last season or whatever it was. And I think I'm understating it. So that's the one thing for me where it's like... I appreciate there was some... It's always important to look at these things in nuance because I think when it comes to the transfers, fans can always be like, all these other clubs get their business done. It's like, not really. You just don't pay attention to it. And it's like, all these other clubs get to shift their deadwall on. It's like, not really, but you just don't pay attention to it. So there was some difficulty in obviously shifting players out for one reason or another. And I don't actually blame necessarily Levy or Enoch for that because a lot of them just said no. Hoiberg towards on deadline day was apparently turning down the offer that we got from Atletico Madrid even. He he even turned them down earlier in the summer and he turned down Fulham. I think what we're seeing is our windows are still being hamstrung by some of the shit recruitment we've done in the two or three years prior because we've still got such a big squad and there's still so much deadwood to get rid of. Until we fully get rid of them, there isn't going to be this window where we're able to go all guns blazing and get the one or two extra players that really kind of turn it into a better window. I do think, and I'll I'll finish off with this, in that hopefully at some point in the next 12 months, that isn't going to be a problem because Dyer will be gone. And he might be gone by the time this is finished recording because we might well cancel his contract. Lloris, you expect there'll be some sort of mutual termination. Sanchez's contract expires within the next 12 months. Hoiberg's this time next year will only have 12 months left. I think Ben Davis is the same. So the players that people classify as the Deadwood probably won't be here. And because our recruitment in terms of players in has improved so much, there aren't any players we've recently signed that you look at and say, this is a Deadwood type signing. So it's frustrating because it still feels like we're being shackled a little bit. So uh, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a bit of a disappointment. I think for me, and I, I do agree that the lack of that other centre-back being brought in was a disappointment. I think if we'd managed to ship out either Sanchez or Dyer, we'd have seen that player come in. Ultimately, like you say, we're paying for the failings of past windows and not being able to shift these guys earlier. I don't want to say we're paying for having signed them in the first place because both, especially Dyer, have given us some very good seasons and very good periods of time too and Dyer's paid for himself a hundred times over with what he did in the first half of his career but the fact that we've spent years unable to get these guys off our wage book off our books especially as non-homegrown players has definitely affected our ability to bring in something we really did need this window and I would love us to be able to just write off their salaries uh, let's say between them they're probably going to take 10 to 12 million in the next year and I just write that off and mm. go in and get someone this summer to replace them and play second fiddle to Romero and Van der Ven. But we know that's not what our chairman does. I think it would have been something worth doing, or at least with one of them worth doing. But yeah, it has left us in the position of if our centre-backs do get injured we have to put one of those guys, maybe not die, but we have to put Sanchez in or maybe we have to accelerate the progress of someone like Ashley Phillips or Alfie mm-hmm. Dorrington even um, or play someone like Ben Davies out of position potentially too. So there, there's a lot of less than perfect scenarios. Hopefully the fact that we're going to have fewer games than any of our rivals for position this season is going to work in our favour in that respect and we can actually get a decent run. But now that I've said that, you know that Romero is coming back from the break with a three-month layoff. <laughs> Um, what I would say is that I think the best way to judge the window is 
just look at the squad you've ended up with and think, is it good enough or even better than what I'd have wanted out of this season? And I'm looking at the first team. Obviously, we've improved across the first team with Madison, with Vicario, with Van der Ven, and for argument's sake, even though it was last summer, Udogi coming in now as well. There's other players like Porro and, oh yeah, Solomon, we could say as well. Yep. So we have improved across the first team. We've got six players now that we're probably comfortable with almost any combination of them for the front three positions. We've got seven midfielders, which barring the worst injury crisis, we should always be able to put out a good combination for our three midfield positions. We've got a good collection of fullbacks and behind Vicario, we've got a very capable understudy in Ben Forster. We've got, we've still got Larissa at the club. I'm pretty sure it's going to have his contract cancelled for what it's worth, but Football's crazy. You never know what's going to happen in the next few days. We lack in that one position, but with a little bit of luck, we should be all right. I think, for me, I'd say touch above six. I'd say seven out of ten, just because I think what we've got going for us. Did I say Ben Forster? You did. Did I? I meant Fraser Uh, Forster, obviously. Um, The hybrid of Ben Foster and hybrid that would be. (laughs) Yeah. If... With what we've got for, I think only the worst injury crisis screws up our season. And you can say that of any club. I think yep. standard amount of injuries and we're looking good for this season based on the window we've had. So I'd say 7 out of 10, not 6 out of 10. But I do share your concerns. You guys are clearly in a situation where you don't know what a bad window actually looks like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, we do, Dave, because because I was just about to revert back to that window 10 years ago when we sold Gareth Bale. And no, I was no, about no, to say, no, no. Also, that isn't a bad window, just to clarify. Oh, what about 2018 when window. we signed nobody? It must have been awful. We, we, what about 2018 when we signed nobody does that count as a bad window no or when we saw Berbatov no. and in Fraser Campbell no. No. we lost all our team this summer <laughs> yeah but that's getting relegated that's always gonna happen Dave come on come on I didn't realise I didn't realise I didn't realize this was a rate your window on the premise that it's obviously worse for other people who got relegated <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it is, Dave. Cavi- Caviar this, this is what we expect from you. But I was going to say, Elio, you're, you're confident this is a better window than the 2013 one, at least, right? I know time will tell, but... Well, I mean, I've already seen enough from Vicario, from yeah. Madison, from Van Der Ven, yeah. from Solomon, to know that they are all going to be hugely better players for us than all of Capoue, yeah. Paulinho, <laughs> um, Chiriches, and Eric Lamella. <laughs> And, and yeah, Madison, I Madison could be because he was set off a trauma I didn't actually know I had just by the very mention of Kapoor yeah. <laughs> I'd love to do some kind of experiment where I just sat here and just read out names of just the worst <laughs> I can't ever made and just monitor and just your see face what happens. Yeah. To, see, to see when the twitches yeah. start to kick in yeah, yeah it's like no no please stop it no I don't no, know what Dave's no, complaining well. about they've got Joe Rosen and Jed Spence for f- sake <laughs> Mate, that, Jed, Spence came, on, Jed Spence came on against Sheffield Wednesday uh, with nine minutes to go didn't do anything wrong and now our fan base thinks he's the second coming of Christ <laughs> <laughs> is he a club signing though or is he a manager signing that's the big question <laughs> uh, well he, he appears to be a club signing because we've got Greta Steinson in as our technical director who I believe was your just director when you signed yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had it for all of eight months, which is about the average lifespan of a Spurs board yeah, member these yeah. days. Other than <laughs> well, we, we've got him now, so I'm, I'm oh, guessing oh. it's a Greta Steinson yeah. signing, but... You know, he's a cut above for the league we're in. So. Well, Dave, to your credit, your job here, or one of your jobs here is very much to call us out when we're being ridiculous. And I think you just did that. So um, I will cut you some slack. And one of your other jobs, of course, is to scout our upcoming opposition. Our next game is against Sheffield United, who um, have not had the best time returning to the Premier League. Their results so far have been as follows. In reverse order, a 2-2 draw just now with Everton at home, who are themselves pretty terrible. They lost 2-1 to Man City, which isn't, I guess, anything too bad. They lost 2-1 to Forest away, 1-0 to Palace at home, and they also went out to Lincoln in the Cup after penalties. So they're not having a great season. We're playing them at home. Dave, is there any world where Sheffield United give us a hard time? And have I just cursed us by saying that? There's always going to be, there's always a chance that that will happen, but uh, no, no, not really. I mean, Cameron Archer is a decent signing for them. Obviously, he scored. Mm. I think he only scored one, didn't he? I think one of them he scored one. hit the post and hit Jordan Pickford on the back of the head and then went in. That's right. The only um, uh, yeah, my FPL keeper as well, for the record. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> he then saved one with his face at the end of the game, though. So, you know, you know it swings and yeah. roundabouts for, for Jordan. I don't get any points for that, though. <sighs> Shame. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah, they've signed him, and he's young and he's talented. So, you know, there'll be a threat there. I can't get over the fact that they've got Paul Hickeybottom as, as their manager, who was the manager we had before we got Bielsa. And he was just a laughing stock. Oh, he's an absolute laughing stock at Leeds. And the fact that he's got in the Premier League and now we're not even in the Premier League is desperate. But, you know, football does that to you. But no, I think they haven't heavily invested. They've <laughs> they bought what I would class as really good signings for when they go down and they want to get back up again. <laughs> um, so I'm very much at this early point, and bearing in mind that Sheffield United, who I don't particularly like because of the Yorkshire thing, I think they're, course, yeah. they're, they're planning for a, a yo-yo period right now, and I don't think they'd be devastated if they went down because I don't think they plan yeah. to stay up, quite frankly. So against you guys, I think you should be too strong. I think you should be too organized, and I don't think Eki has got a tactical glove to lay on Ange. So what you're saying is they're going to see this game as a write-off and they're going to go easy and rest their energy for a game they can actually win the following week, yeah? Potentially. <laughs> or they might, or they, or they might just, you know, know that this is not the kind of game that's going to save them if they are in a relegation battle, which they are. 89th minute smash and grab 1-0 winner from a guy we've never heard of incoming. Yeah. Um, Elio, <laughs> how many goals do you... It'll be Ollie McBurney. It will be. Well, we, we, we've got a two-week wait, unfortunately. We're going to have to make do with watching that Kane fella up front for England in the interim, uh, which I don't think anyone cares too much about. We're going to have to do that until then. But you're going to be at the game, home game. How excited are you about watching Spurs again? And uh, how many goals would you like to see us score against Sheffield United? How many goals? I mean, uh, <laughs> how many minimums? I, I if, think if it's only 3 0 at half time, will you leave and discuss? That's a jump from me saying there shouldn't be too much of a chat. How many goals would we need to score? We need more goals. <laughs> yeah. We need to beat them. We need to burn well, their kids. We need to smash their house to the ground. <laughs> you know what? You know will what? you wave a purple and yellow flag if we don't score six? No. <laughs> I, I think when you're playing a newly promoted club, when you're a side challenging for the title, when you're at home early in the season, you're playing well there not you always go into a match thinking okay this should be a comfortable one win by at least three clear goals so yeah that is what i want to see however if we play badly and it's our first poor performance but we fluke one nil off of emerson's backside in the 92nd minute i'll take it still right now i just want to keep us to keep building this momentum and for us to keep going and stay positive stay confident and then go into the game after that which is obviously a flagship fixture with every confidence and all the sort of vim we can muster that said yeah i'll be disappointed if it's not a handsome win because we're playing such good football right now you expect us to be able to take on sheffield united with Eki as their manager um and everything dave just described him as and and put them to to the sword so we shall see my, my biggest gripe with sheffield united is that billy sharp did not get one final stab at the premier league because i like Aww. Billy Sharp. he's yeah. one of football's nice good story. guys he's yeah. had a really storied career in the lower leagues dave's shaking his head because you for them but um proper shit. but i i think that's very much what leads were putting up with from all the angles at the time anyone <laughs> maybe you just can't handle being at a big club but... maybe maybe can i just point out and long-time listeners will know that we have a penchant for bullying children on this podcast but we miss the <laughs> dave upgrading it to burn the children we've gone from bullying to burning <laughs> we're a couple of more episodes away from somebody's hard drive being seized at this point <laughs> 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 I feel like you lifted that out of context in a way that somehow made it even worse than it already was. Uh, I'm going to move swiftly on from that. Oh, yeah, we should be all right. Yeah, we should be. We should be all right. But we say that every week, don't we? I feel like we're a little bit too confident, but we'll see. We'll uh, we'll be back to talk about that in, in due course. A couple of quotes that you guys might like. One from our new captain, Son Hyun Min. There's a lot of pressure playing in a Premier League team, but sometimes you forget how important happiness is, that you enjoy your football. I try to be an example, try to smile and take responsibility on and off the pitch. We still want to move forward and try to improve. Um, no doubt whatsoever in the sincerity in that. We love seeing Sonny smile when he was smiling a lot in that game, but I think it is nice to see some of our players looking a little bit happy. And, and here's another one from Ange himself, which is an old quote where he was asked about his um, unwavering attacking philosophy. And his response was, if you're a strict vegetarian, you don't drop into McDonald's just because you're hungry, mate. This is what I believe in, which I love absolutely that. love. I know you love that one as well, Dave. You shared that one as well. So yeah, like a couple of nice quotes there. We talked about both of our games. We talked about our upcoming games 
game. Moving into a couple of other points of business. First of all, I would say to vote for us once again in the FCAs, the Football Content Awards, but by the time this is up, the nominations and the voting will be closed. So instead, I will say a huge thanks to all of you who have already voted for us. And hopefully, who knows, we might even get an official nomination in those for our best Premier League podcast. I feel like the odds are slightly long on that one, but nevertheless, we love to see all the support we've had. And, and a lot of people have actually tweeted out to say that they're nominating us. So thank you so much to all of you. Really appreciate that. And on that note, as always, please do follow us on Twitter if you don't already at Plus Dave Podcast. Please race and review us if you get the chance as well, because we'd love to see those coming in. And I always forget to ask, and it's so important for getting us up there in those charts and getting our rating up there so people can find us and other people can listen. So please try and give us a five-star rating if you can. You know, you can give us less than five stars if you want. I wouldn't really blame you, but I'd love a five-star rating. And a nice review would be nice as well. So please go ahead and do that on Apple. I think you can review us on Spotify or rate us on Spotify as well. Also, can you please, please, somebody email us. Socks, can we have a heartfelt plea? Come on. Can you try and inspire our listeners to get in touch with us via email? Because we're not getting enough emails. It is nearly our two-year anniversary. I don't know how many days that is, but I believe it's over 700. We've only had three different people email us. One of them is my dad. One of them is Joe's dad. And the third one is someone that Dag is harangued into emailing us. He won't let her go. to write an email. In leads. For the love of God. Yeah, it was really <laughs> awkward. Right. So I was Can like, I oh, you're a spell fan. I'll wait while you write my email to us. I'll, I'll wait here. It's fine. I've got all day. Yeah. <laughs> you can tweet at us. If that's easier, tweet the message at us instead. Does it even have to be an email? It was very 2006. Maybe that's where we're going yeah, wrong. Email. I stopped mentioning the email after a while because I feel like it was very old school and I wanted to show us as a, a hip with a new young podcast. But you can email us and you can tweet us at Plus Dave Podcast. Or if you want to email us individually, I'm at Plus Dave Dags uh, or tweet us even. Elio is at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. Dave is at Fantasy Dave. And as discussed previously, Socks is above all that nonsense. Um, <laughs> you also did mention, Socks, that we are coming up to our two year anniversary. It's amazing. We've been going for two years. Uh, I don't know if it's felt like it's gone quick quickly or slowly but we are coming up to in fact by the time you're listening to this it may well be our second birthday 5th of september will mark two years since we started this podcast our first ever episode this is our 82nd episode in that time you would think we'd be better at doing it by now but never mind but we are going to do some kind of special birthday celebration in our next episode of course there's no game next week it's the international break so as long as we're not crying about all of the injuries we're picking up we're going to bring you some kind of birthday special next week which will probably take the shape of a big Q&A which ties in nicely with the request for email so if you can email us any questions you have for us let us know but we're going to be harassing everyone we know to send in their questions send in questions on Twitter any comments anything you want to read out we're just going to have a bit of general chat looking back over the last couple of years look back over Spurs history some of our favorite players from times gone by more or less anything doesn't even have to be about football get in touch let us know anything you want us to discuss uh, it's going to be a bit of an unscripted free-for-all it will be chaotic it could be an absolute disaster but we're going to try our best to have a bit of fun while doing it elio dave you've you've both been here since the beginning two years does that does that feel like two years yes this has aged me <laughs> he means this episode yeah i really hope our listeners enjoy listening to this more than dave and elio enjoy recording <laughs> <laughs> it's a low bar to be <laughs> however however i have prepared a little challenge elio for today oh if you lovely were- you pulled it out of the bag. I would love a challenge earlier. I don't know about everyone else. Save the podcast Do episode we- with the challenge earlier. <laughs> I feel like we need to explain what Challenge Elio is. It's been that long since we've done one, and we've had a lot of new listeners recently. So um, Challenge Elio, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of needs a new name, but basically normally it was a <laughs> quiz we did at the end of every episode where I would pose questions to Elio versus everyone else, hence the Challenge Elio. Nowadays, Elio does it, and Elio is going to be asking the questions this time, so I suppose it still works, but we're going to do some kind of trivia quiz, right, Elio? Or are you about to throw a spanner in the works? Um, it's just a very easy, quick fire. It's a bunch of questions that you're not really going to compete against each other is just whether between you you manage to get all the answers right you probably should they're quite easy but just to pay homage to our new number 10 i am just going to read out a few facts about various players us and leicester have both had and hopefully you can guess who they are from my description so shall we go okay let's go for it let's see see how badly i do at this i think dave you will be fine so goalkeeper American lost the league Cup final Casey to Spurs. Excellent. I was first there, wasn't I? Surely. Yeah. You I were sure first wasn't. There. Okay. Good. I'm just <laughs> saying that because there's a real chance I won't get any more. So I want I want to cash in where I can. Assaulted Pedro Mendes. Ben Thatcher. Ben Thatcher. Yep. 
was, I was going to say Mark Klassenberg. <laughs> that count? <laughs> Did he play for Leicester? <laughs> Striker played for England, scored a few goals for England, spent my Hurricane? career um, being referred to as a knight by the nomination I was given, eventually awarded an MBE. One of three people with the same surname, all related, who have played for West Ham in the Premier League era as well. Signed for Spurs from Newcastle along with David Ginola. Oh, Les Ferdinand. Oh, yeah. God, of course. Yeah. So, Les. Very good. That, that should you have played, been a dead giveaway. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he went, I, I he didn't went know from Leicester. Okay. The second best number 10 Spurs have had since Glenn Hoddle. James Harry, Harry Kane. <laughs> <laughs> it is Harry Kane. Yeah, Leicester legend, Harry Kane. Um, <laughs> England's third ever top scorer. Ooh. Once oh. himself on a football pitch. Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker. <laughs> Start with that, Elio. Gary Lineker. <laughs> I'm actually disappointed. I've well, got loads of big players. Played for both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Played for England. Smiled stupidly after conceding goals for us. Ian Walker. Had Ian Walker, it was. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> good. I feel like that's your go-to description. That's your, your enduring memory of Ian Walker, isn't all his great performances, his great saves, his hair, his modelling. When he conceded and the whole of White Hart Lane was quiet, did you used to just shout, Stop f***ing smiling! <laughs> I can see, I I can see, I can see a nine-year-old Elliot doing no. exactly that, quite frankly. Speaking of someone who knew nine-year-old Elio well and one of two on this show, absolutely he would have been saying that. <laughs> he was not a late bloomer with the foul language, I promise you. <laughs> Any more? Oh dear. Um, there are a couple more. These are probably the hardest two of the lot as well, so apologies for that. Father was one of England's greatest ever goalkeepers, sadly passed away Stephen in Clements. recent history. Stephen Clements, yes. Yeah, yeah, good one. And the very final one, German central midfielder, reputation as a hard man, but was in fact just a big dumb wanker, was what briefly friend? on our coaching staff. <laughs> Stefan, Stefan Freund, Freund. yeah. Stefan Freund. <laughs> there you have it, listeners. Stefan Freund, the big dumb wanker. Elio, 2023. <laughs> That's another potential guest ruled out <laughs> and that is this week's challenge Elio <laughs> the list lovely oh, it's, I feel like we should rename challenge Elio to litigate Elio <laughs> <laughs> cross examine Elio in the future yeah oh brilliant well done yeah, I enjoyed that that was good a nice little throwback there and perhaps a reminder as to why we haven't done it in a while because <laughs> we uh, we ourselves in hot water I guess we'll be previewing the Arsenal game next week I suppose but we'll probably be doing all kinds of nonsense um, I honestly could not tell you what next week's episode will look like other than it will be a celebration of sorts it will be slightly different to what you're used to there may be quizzes there may be questions there may be random tangents which is actually by the sounds of it quite what we're used to uh, but I hope you'll join us again for that and please do keep on sharing the podcast like the podcast rate the podcast review we've actually just had our record ever month as we approach our second birthday so thank you so much everyone who's listened there beating the previous record from the month before so uh, let's try and make it a hat trick and get even more people listening next month as well so uh, look forward to having as many of you as possible back on next time hope you enjoyed this one hope you'll join us then stay classy Spurs fans and we'll see you next week <laughs>